Right, so hello, Hi. welcome Andrew Chevalier. Thank you so much for coming to talk to me. Uh, we have known each other for several years in yeah. a professional capacity maybe, but, but also not so. Well, uh, your version of professional. Potentially. Which, which is professional plus. Well, oh yes, correct. It's, it's like you get a job and a family. <laughs> So uh, just to explain, uh, Andy has worked for Hot Buckle for, I don't know, several years, I suppose, on and yeah. off. Um, so you first came and worked with us on David Copperfield? No, I did the second half of Les Mis. Oh, yes, you did. I had, I had a week's rehearsal before the second, the spring tour of Les Mis. Wow. And I was told to learn my lines before I got there, which I did not having realized that nobody else learns their lines and so <laughs> my first day of rehearsal i knew my lines first of all better than anybody else and knew their lines it. better than anybody else but also never got a single cue line that i was expecting got it yes that's very hot buckle isn't it so you kind of were smuggy <laughs> mcsmug a lot but then really not because i, I was just confused yeah <laughs> i love i didn't that. know what play Bless we were you. doing my god what a baptism of fire that must have been yeah that's brilliant love it so yes, you, you um, like many of the other actors, came and lived with us while you rehearsed and so became part of the family. It was all right? Good food? It was, it was a delight. The food was great, like doing homework with the kids oh. and um, yeah, eating together. And obviously the hot buckle way of rehearsals are quite fun and leisurely. So there was plenty of free time, plenty of drink. It was just wonderful. Oh. Yeah. So... Uh, background is you live in Brixton, correct? Yes, yes. I live in Brixton with my wife. my wife and two children, two young kids. So I've got a six-year-old and a two-year-old. And we've been in Brixton. I moved to London to go to drama school in 2009, graduated 2010. And then I think started hot buckling in like 2012. Oh, okay. So that was quite soon after drama school then. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I did a play with another cast mate, Emily. And she... Maybe it was later than that. I don't know. But then she got in touch to say that they're auditioning for Lame Is Part Two. Ah. So that's okay. So tell us a bit about your life, your career, what brought you to, you know, being an actor um, and yeah, before COVID. Before COVID. Um, so the acting thing was always, you know, I think I did a school play when I was 11 and that was like, I was like, I'm going to be an actor. That's all I want to, you know. I remember, I remember walking down a street in my hometown in, near Kingston in Greater London and, um, and walking down thinking, me and Tom Hanks are going to put the same thing on our occupation form one day. We're going to both write actor. And, um, and so that was, that was kind of it. And then went to drama school and studied, studied uh, drama, not realising that was a complete waste of time if you want to be an actor. And then, because my family had absolutely no idea how you get into the biz and what to do. So kind of did that and then ended up, living in Canterbury for the first few years of my when I was first married and then moved to London for drama school and then it was a lovely first few years where I had I got involved in a great theatre company that were working they were really trying to develop an ensemble uh, theatre they were based in London uh, ensemble company so you would get cast in several different shows we'd put them all on at once and then throughout the year there were various different shows and they always happily coincided with hot buckles so I had a few years where it was 
I could plan my next kind of two years back to back of sometimes acting in London, sometimes being on tour, lovely jubbly. And then we had a child and that changes some things. Um, and so we then, uh, I then was, I, I decided I didn't want to go on tour anymore. I kind of limited much more of what I wanted to do. The theatre company, the ensemble theatre company started to diversify a bit and do less things as an ensemble. So that didn't happen as much. And so in that kind of time, I built a voiceover studio so that I could be a bit more in control of my uh, my workflow and be a bit more sort of nimble and um, yeah, a, a bit more flexible with my time because I was doing uh, my day job would be working in a box office. And so I was, I was doing that on the days that I wasn't kind of hot buckling or with the other mm. theater company, or it was always a bit of a juggle okay. needed to earn a bit more money. And, um, and I had the fourth year of my degree, I did a four year degree, and the fourth year of my degree was entirely in radio drama. So I just studied radio drama for the whole year. We made a radio play. Ah. And so I had, I, I had expertise in the kind of software and equipment and how you kind of, so um, voiceover was a natural kind of fit for me. So I did I didn't that for- I know that about the radio stuff. Okay. Yeah. And then, so then since having kids, I've massively limited what I've wanted to do acting, what, not what I've wanted to do, but what I've been willing to do acting wise. And so the only real theatre that works is children's theatre because it's daytime shows. So I've had, I've done a few productions with the Polka Theatre that I know you know in Wimbledon. And that's been absolutely, completely brilliant and lovely and I hope to do that again. Um, but that is, a, that is a set of shows that works really well because it's daytime. I'm home in time for bath and bedtime and all that sort of stuff. And that works yeah. great. And that kind of takes us up until about now okay. when the world ended. When the world literally ended. Yeah. Okay, so uh, that's really interesting about the polka. Yeah, I, I, did, I got a job once with the polka. Uh, and Short then lived. And then got pregnant. Yeah. Uh, you've heard that story. Yeah. So I became pregnant beauty uh because i was going to be beauty and the beast and then yeah i couldn't do it because you know health and safety can't have a pregnant actress no no why would you of course you can How of course ridiculous. you can and you probably shouldn't fire her although it does tell a different story about beauty doesn't it potentially but i don't think i would have shown by then no. i was very early stages I don't think however they... in retrospect i was sick as a dog so it may not have been very pleasant uh, yes so how has covid how has it affected you then simple as that i mean probably in three different ways mm. so i probably should have said in my in my acting life i'm also a member of a co-op agency so for those people that wouldn't know you're an actor and an agent and so i have various days of the month where i am working as an agent for myself and for other actors that are part of the agency and so the first thing is I've seen the work massively deplete. There's, you know, it kind of ebbs and flows. A few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, before we went into the second wave, work was sort of picking up. People were thinking about Christmas and Christmas shows and that sort of stuff. And then it's just, you know, cancelled shows or cancelled auditions or just far fewer breakdowns for actors to be put up for. So there's much less work. So where I've limited myself, now there's basically nothing I could do acting-wise. Um, so that's, that's one thing. Um, and 
well that's that's two things that's acting in general that's acting for me and then the joy of living in london has been sapped entirely because it as you say i live in brixton it's great to hop on the tube or cycle down to the south bank or jump on a bus and like you know head somewhere i don't do any of that anymore there's nowhere to go to there's no theater to go and see i used to see theater so often i miss it desperately and now i'm just left in kind of the, the less desirable streets of Brixton kind of, you, you know, you, you wander the streets seeing the fly tipping building up and that is your, that's your day-to-day experience. No, I mean, people say it is like a ghost town. Is it, or is that an exaggeration? I, mean, I haven't seen it. I haven't, I haven't been on a tube since, I mean, for eight or nine months. That's insane. Haven't, I just haven't been there. That's so weird. It's really weird. Really weird. Um, has Joe, Joe's, been working that's your wife joe yes yeah, so we had she's obviously a primary had, school um, teacher isn't she? She's a primary school teacher so we had the school closure um you know when was that march time and so they got got through to the end of uh got through to july doing homeschool and then really the summer was kind of a little eye in the storm where you yeah. got to do some stuff and it was quite nice and everyone seemed a bit more relaxed yes and then we're back into obviously school is happening now so my wife and my eldest are at school okay um, how do you feel about them mixing and being at school and working and i mean what yeah i I don't know really like everything you kind of i guess you need the schools open to keep people Mm. able to go to jobs if Ah. jobs can be open and that sort of stuff it feels like have you um have you had any uh, financial support from the government yeah so the two rounds of the um self-employment um scheme i took both of those and that was great one of the other sort of day jobby things i do every year is work for wimbledon tennis and i've got a really good role in the tennis and it um and that's a nice earner don't tell them that but that's a nice earner for uh the few weeks that i do that a year and so that was a big loss not that that was under the self-employment scheme but it it helped have the self-employment scheme because that made up some of the shortfall and then you're also allowed to work under it. So I've been able to do the voiceover stuff as well. Right. And so. how, is, how is the voiceover stuff going then? Yeah, it's got, it, start, it, it started off with a couple of jobs being cancelled. Things weren't going to happen. Right. Um, and then there was probably a month where very little came in. It just went quiet. And I think basically everybody was readjusting. How do we do our business in this world and how do we do adverts and how do we do you know anything in kind of the new world we find ourselves in and then when people started to figure it out then the work came in and it's been pretty consistent i actually had to run down this morning and do a job this morning and that's uh, great yeah so it's it's good yeah you have a voiceover agent no 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 no. i have i have a studio and i mean my my agency would represent me if voiceover work came in through the agency but i do there's there's various companies online that i am affiliated to and will get work that way so it's normally it's kind of it's not the big money stuff it's not okay being doing the o2 ads or you know yeah guy from x factor it's it's the smaller kind of piddly stuff but it it all adds up it adds up and it allows the flexibility it's i've got this you know i'm on my third studio and this one is quite quite good in the house now and it's um so it's just yeah my community so, down the back staircase so so potentially if we went into another full lockdown or if things stayed the way they were even for the next six months 
would you guys be okay financially? I think, I think we would. Um, you just, you couldn't, I, I think the good thing about, obviously Joe's on a government employment, you know, so they're not going to get rid of teachers. So Joe's ways comes in. And then um, as long as the work comes in, that's the problem. You never, you never know. No. But I think, voiceover is here to stay i've certainly helped several actors set up their own voiceover studios in this time um because it's you know one way i think i think one of the problems that adrian is facing is that um you know because he set himself up and he joined this one of those companies i think you were talking about but unfortunately this is every actor in the entire world is now doing this you know so it's yes it's a great medium and yes it's exactly what we can all do but unfortunately every tom dick and harry is doing it yeah um so yes it's very competitive and really you've done very well in the sense that you're already established so you've already got your work yeah so that people can see yeah so mm, such a chicken and egg isn't it so it is i also think though that there's a there's a probably a little misconception that um often actors think oh i can that's something i can just do but i think what me and ado probably have a slight edge on is the technical side that we're both good at as well. Um, so you don't feel that there's a kind of a, a secret necessity to think sometimes at three o'clock in the morning about whether you need to change career and what you would do. And I mean, that was more of a thought before COVID. What what the heck would I change to? Yeah. What is still there? Like I I have absolutely no idea what I would. I don't I didn't know what I would swap to before. But now, so, there was, so, so even when you were kind of like, you know, studying or thinking about going to drama school, or whatever, was there never a kind of, I'll give this a go, but if not, I'll fall back onto this thing that I really like or good at or no? No, sadly not. <laughs> no. Yeah. Exactly skilled in something else would be great. Yeah. No. no, it's funny, isn't it? Uh, well, it's not funny at all. It's really not funny. <laughs> but I, I do um, think also like there is a sort of, in the acting world, there is a survival of the fittest. And I kind of think uh, because because the voiceover is is going okay, is survivable. As long as I just keep plodding along with that, and we I keep feeding my children, then that's kind of like a win. And other people will die off, and I'll swoop in at some point. Listen, it's a it's a plan. Yeah. It actually is a plan. You know, let's yeah. not. And yeah. older actors are a bit more kind of employable than yes. the billions of younger ones. So. Yes totally agree just hang on in there till everybody that's, else that's dies that's the yes, plan <laughs> yes but the danger is now theater might die one of the things that's really kind of uh, struck ado and i over the last few months is how one keeps oneself motivated to get up in the morning how yeah. what, what, how are you managing that i mean you seem really upbeat you know you always I'm, do. I'm usually so dour <laughs> not at all so what you know what are you doing what is your kind of little regime you know i'm going running every other day own tiny little run but you know and i'm doing yoga as well which you know and i'm learning french even though i speak it anyway i'm trying to get fluent so you know these little things tiny little achievements for me each day but you know people do things differently what what's your kind of i think joe and i were fortunate that about just between 18 months and two years ago we realized that routine in our life was 
really important. Uh, we've always been fairly routine anyway, but when you've got, uh, obviously you've got the kids are going to be up. So you have to get up because the kids are up. There's no kind of like negotiation about that. That's going to get me out of bed because um, Barney's got to get to school and um, you know, all, all those sorts of things. So, but there's loads of stuff we put in place that has just really <laughs> boringly cemented our lives in kind of, um, there's a book called The Miracle Morning that we read a, a little while ago, which um, gave you a kind of structure to your morning. So um, we started, uh, I do some, I wake up every day, I do some reading, I do, I then go out and do exercise at, at 6.20 in the morning in the garden. That was, um, we're doing this before the kids are up. So we have a bit of time together before the kids are out. I know we have a set, like we know what, this is really dull. We know what washing, clothes washing is going to be done so that it just keeps kind of like ticking over. We kind of, we know the food we're going to basically eat is all kind of just to take the sort of boring choices out of life. Um, and it's really frustrating if your washing baskets are all exploding everywhere and all that sort of stuff. So just to get that nonsense out. And I think having routine helps you to um, recognize when probably you're in a bit more of an emotional state than you're ready to admit or in a, a bit more kind of emotional spiritual difficulty than you're than you're ready to kind of um, comprehend because if you're start to if the routine starts to go then you can sort of say oh, hang on what's going on there yeah um, so and it's great to get the endorphins going in the morning and all that kind of well stuff. Uh, hats off thanks chapeau <laughs> Um, so you go out into your garden, both of you, at 20 past six in the morning. Yeah. And you do some kind of, what, cardiovascular? We do a hit. So so, so Joe jo got us onto the Joe Wicks thing before the rest of the country. Or, you know, because okay. that was happening. I mean, I actually didn't go out today because it is absolutely lashing it down. Oh. I just did some kind of lazy sit-ups. But, um, but uh, so that that's the, that's the idea. So we kind of built in structure, which is we just kept kind of disciplined and going on. That's fine until I think the thing that I, I, I massively miss is creative collaboration. And I find that in like, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've joined the kind of sourdough uh, craze because at God. one point you couldn't oh get all that sort of stuff. Banana bread. Did you do the banana? banana didn't do, bread? didn't do banana bread. Okay. No, no, no um but um but like and i'm still fairly rubbish at making sourdough loaves but um it doesn't but, matter it doesn't really matter <laughs> there's a sense of like this didn't exist before and now it does and that gives me a little thrill i really enjoyed cutting my kids hair um and i'm gonna open a salon called covid cuts after this but but like just doing kind of some something that is a little bit creative. They looked a mess before. Now they look lopsided, or now they look just a bit different. Um, like you made a change. I've just missed the kind of and the thing about voiceover for me that is a massive negative is that I'm entirely on my own because I record and I edit and I, I deal basically with the internet and it's just a written list of stuff. I'm not dealing with people. Yeah. Um, I massively miss that. And yeah. you, the rehearsal room is. I would live in a rehearsal room happily forever. And I guess that's why Hot Buckle really suited me because we did live in a rehearsal yeah. in one sense. You know, when we were doing David Copperfield and we were, yes, we were kind of um, 
we were finishing at four o'clock the, the the script but we would still we would come in when the kids had gone to bed we would you know the instruments would come out we'd be tinkering with the music and that sort of stuff it was yeah. this kind of lived in rehearsal yeah what yeah. do you think about the the support for the arts in the uk i don't know um i i think um i was grateful to get get the uh self-employment scheme but it it feels a bit kind of coming cap in hand doesn't it and um and waiting to know if they were going to do a second one and now they're going to do a third at some you know at some point and it feels we probably haven't got the best government for um caring about the arts the money that's gone into theater the money that's coming out now at the you know theaters are announcing money at the moment it seems to be enough to kind of stop the bleeding till march i think that the, the um, arts council won it spent by march and so after that who knows um but at the, at the same time i do appreciate the fact that any you know wh- whatever debt we're ringing up or racking up at the moment at some point may need to be paid and uh and theatre does feel like a luxury it also feels like i guess i'm really aware that theatre i'm like my life feels far less fulfilled without it but i'm in the massive minority there so um i don't think you could kind of yeah. enforce theatre on everybody no so i just i just don't know i don't see the big sums that the government are seeing and understanding it it's just a bit like i don't i don't know how theatre really comes through this because it's a it's a the perfect storm in in that if you can work out how to keep your venue open then you've got to work out how can you get enough audience in to run a venue and keep them safe then you've got to work out how do you do rehearsals and keep the actors safe then you've got to work out how do you do a play where you can't go near each other or or do you have to live together how does that work and then you've got to convince an audience that are general not generally but majoritively made up of older people who are in the you know danger spot you've got to convince them to come back into the theaters and sit indoors with other people yeah i mean basically it doesn't work doesn't work it's that simple really i think you know so what do we what do we do i don't know i think that's the thing isn't it you know it I don't think it will ever be the same. And how does this, this doesn't, there's no natural end to this. No, no. Even if a magical vaccination came out, that yeah. we still got months and months, of, you know, but yeah. even if that And happened. I think people's, people are frightened. How do you see things a year from now? I mean, I, I kind of think we're going to be in it. My instinct is we're going to be in the same place socially next this time next year that we'll still be have to be socially distanced we'll still be balancing on these tiers of flipping into one and two and three and what that means how on earth can you plan a kind of a theatrical event if you don't know what yeah yeah and i think also what's frustrated me um recently is the kind of the ignorance of the corporate world in terms of what it means logistically to create a piece of theatre, you know, you cannot afford to do a show once. 
No. You know, it's you've got the rehearsals, the yes. set building, the yes. costumes, the all of that. You have therefore it's no good in doing a tour and just hoping you'll get one or two theatres. You know, you have to plan for a set amount of income. So yeah. you can't, you cannot even begin to think about touring until you can be absolutely damn sure that you are going to get paid, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, and I found also recently that, that again, this, there's this attitude that for some reason, people who work in the arts will do stuff for nothing because we're desperate there's just for me there's this real sense that what we do just doesn't have any kind of financial value to it you know yeah. it's, this, it's this wonderful cultural value and we're all so proud it's so wonderful that we want to be a part of it we want to be close to it yeah just nudge noses with it but we don't want to pay for it no absolutely and yes and there is a desperation isn't there because loads of like i'm fortunate enough that i got the voice the voiceover stuff done you know five six years ago yeah um and but all the jobs that actors normally do the waiting the bar staff the events that doesn't exist anymore so of course people are desperate and of course they're going to be taken advantage of and yeah that's yeah. disgraceful it's awful and then i think we've got a slight we've got a bigger problem that in terms of adapting lots of things have adapted to being um online and you know for instance this wouldn't have happened this conversation wouldn't have happened if we, i had to drive to to where you live to kind of yeah you know so it so in one sense it opens it up the world up brilliantly but i don't think theater is you know easily easy to adapt online i when the the national started to stream some of their shows as lots of theaters did i watched the first five minutes of one man two governors and just had to it was so embarrassing these actors yeah shouting their heads off in this so hammy isn't it so it's hammy yeah and, and then we're like we're telling people oh you really should go to theater theater is wonderful theater is amazing and then you've got the choice between watching what you want to watch on netflix or disney plus and then watching these shows which just look awful it can't it doesn't adapt very well it doesn't it world. just doesn't because the you know the whole point of it is you are there as part of an experience with thousands of people yeah. hundreds or even just tens of people around you yeah. experiencing the same thing you know but i yeah it's it's hugely fearful and i think that the fear for me is you know i'm really passionate about the history of theater and where it's all come from and you know it comes from sitting around yeah. a fire telling each other stories yeah. and ultimately that's what it is and that's what it still is and you yes. cannot do that on camera <laughs> Well, you can't do that. I mean, obviously, you know, Netflix are storytelling. Yes. It's just the, the modern version of it. Yes, and I don't think exactly. storytelling will ever be lot. We can't, we no. can't exist as a society without storytelling. No. So, you my know, theory we, is we could exist without theatre. And that, that's my kind of like, right at the start of this, I was like, how do, how do we come back from this? Yeah. This is a weird question, but what makes you the saddest about the situation at the moment? I, for for me personally, it is the loss of it is the loss of theatre. It is that that kind of that is one of the reasons why I live in London, and one of the reasons why I haven't wanted to move out of London is because I was such a regular theatre goer, and so it it is that um, that is definitely the saddest thing. Okay. For me, it just yeah. And what would you like your legacy to be when you are? 
How old are you now, Andy? <clears throat> 39. So let's say 40. Let's okay. round it up to 40. When you're 70 yeah. and you're sitting on your rocking chair with your grandchildren yeah. around you, mm. what would you like to have achieved in the next 30 years that you will be looking back on? Well, I'd like... I'd like to have achieved, I'd like to still be working in creative collaboration. That's what I'd like to, I'd like to have achieved a kind of a working life of that. Um, I don't, anybody that goes into the arts isn't, shouldn't be thinking about how much money they could make. I don't, I don't expect to be super wealthy. I don't expect to be super well known. Um, but I do want to have many, many experiences of creatively collaborating with many different people. That's, you know, okay. that is what I'd like. I'd, and I'd, I'd like to, you know, I put my family relationship above my kind of professional work life as I've, as I've done, you know, chosen not to do the tours and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I hope that there would be strong bonds within the family and um you know hopefully by that time there'll be oh gosh grandkids and all that sort of thing in january the plan the original plan was that this is when my youngest gets kind of extra hours for childcare from the government and you know i that opened a load of doors there was possibility there which are now there's no doors to walk through but that was that was going to be the a really nice time and it was gonna I, I felt like it was gonna start a kind of period of this is when I can focus on yeah on work a bit more than I've been able to mm. um so I, I hope that happens I hope there's there is something particularly special about creatively collaborating in storytelling and because mm. there's obviously there's other ways of creatively collaborating but um doing that in storytelling yeah i i just want to i want to live in a rehearsal room that's what i want to do <laughs> i love it um, that's amazing do that for a long time great thank you pleasure it's been an honor <laughs> it's been a joy to see you really fabulous thank you so much so interesting just really just so valuable to hear everything that's going on. I think specifically because you're, you're in London as well. Um, you know, that's going to be really interesting to, to understand for a lot of people. So thank you. Yeah. And I'm just so pleased that you're, you're doing okay and that everyone's fine and you're plodding on. Yeah. We I mean, we are doing okay. Great. Yeah. Well, that's all any of us can do. Really. I think that's true. Yeah. I think definitely it's like, it's definitely, I know you're coming into land as I pick it up again, but like uh, it's definitely rougher this time around, isn't it? The second second yeah. wave, all the sort of novelty and it's kind totally, of yeah. optimism has, <clears throat> has gone. I think everybody should expect this is going to be a harder time. 